HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We've been making cheese in Wisconsin since before we were even a state, which may be one reason why we win so many awards for it. It's what happens when a whole state dreams in cheese. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. We talk about food. We talk about music with musical dudes. Finger on the pulse, snacky tunes. Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm your host, Darren Bresnitz. We have an all new, delicious episode for you today. We're kicking things off over in Hawaii with Hana Dryling, the co-founder and head of creative of Holy Grail Donuts. We talk about her time cooking at the Waffle House, her recreation of this incredible nostalgic treat with her brother Niall, and their expansion to the mainland. And then we're hanging out with some of our new favorite guys from Philly, the boys of Snack Time, who just put out a new single from their first studio album. The song is Together, and we had such a great time talking about their love of Philly food, their love of Philly sports, and what they eat when they get home from tour. And speaking of which, they are on tour right now with Portugal the Man, so check them out if they're in a town near you. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy Snacky Tunes here on HRN. And there's no 
I'll be your guide And I'll lead you to shore Just drop all the baggage Leave it all on the goddamn floor No matter what happens Just know I got you Hannah, welcome to Snacky Tunes. So happy you're joining us from Hawaii all the way here in LA. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Darren. I am blessed to be here. Super excited. Yeah, so, you know, it's February, and I have to imagine a lot of resolutions running out, people who made commitments in January. Have you seen an uptick in donut sales around this time of year? (laughs) Um, actually we have surprisingly, um, mm-hmm. so, you know, everyone's got their resolutions, but ours are to eat more donuts. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I've been noticing this trend in the last couple years about people looking backwards to nostalgic types of food, but then reinventing them either in a new modern take or a healthier take. And it seems like something that you have done. Why do you think that this combo is is so popular right now? Yeah, I love this topic. Um, and that was a huge inspiration for us in starting Holy Grail. Um, just looking back at, you know, the way coffee shops have even been reinvented, um, such as like Blue Bottle, the, like craft coffee, and the obsession towards like the origin of the actual ingredient, um, I think is really special. And we noticed that, you know, not many or if any people have been doing that with donuts, um, which is it's such a nostalgic food, right? Um, 
but not particularly healthy by nature. So, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, our goal was kind of to create, recreate and reinvent this product in a way that, um, you know, we could feel good about eating it. Right. No, of course. Of course. I mean, everyone likes a little guilt-free indulgence if possible. Um, but still a donut. <laughs> still a donut. Still a donut. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, speaking of nostalgia, I read that you had worked at the Waffle House. Is that true? Yeah. My little, my culinary journey started from uh, <laughs> making waffles. Um, I did that for a couple years while I was in college. Um, hmm. You know, washed dishes, made waffles, did the whole thing. Um, but I've always just been obsessed with this industry and I never thought I'd be making donuts, but here I am. Um, what did you learn from the Waffle House? Cause they serve a huge quantity. It's a, it's a decent quality. It's a streamlined operation. Anything that you took from them that you still practice today? Yeah. I feel like waffles are also like a nostalgic food. Right. Um, but it got me thinking of like, that as a baseline, like that waffle and like what toppings you're putting on it. Um, sort of like as this blank slate for mm. storytelling around ingredients. Um, and that's, that's kind of the way we look at donuts too. Right. No, no, um, of course. As so a yeah, canvas. We, yeah. We were making this like Liege waffles, um, <laughs> just frying those up every day and putting different unique toppings on it. But it was always that same, like, nostalgic base right baseline mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i mean is there a through line from the time at the waffle house to the idea for a holy grail you know i haven't actually thought of the waffle house recently <laughs> that was a fun college experience but yeah now that you mention it that you know probably creatively inspired me in one way or another yeah i mean it's so funny with what you keep with you as you journey and travel through life. And I know you made your way to Hawaii, I believe specifically Kauai. What brought you there? What made you want to leave the mainland? Yeah. Um, I, gosh, I moved to Hawaii about, I'm going to lose track here, <laughs> 12, 13 years ago. Mm. Um, and I was studying product design in college I quit working at the Waffle House. <laughs> oh, of course, of course. And, um, yeah, I was studying product design, um, and I came out there for an internship, and I just fell in love with the place. Um, easy to do. And I landed some amazing internships for mm. some private chefs and just became just obsessed with food from growing it. I had a... Um, exotic fruit farm I was living on wow obsessed over every aspect of you know this industry um and landed some amazing gigs cooking for some celebrity chefs and um I ended up just moving leaving my stuff in Oregon and hmm. yeah landed in landed in Kauai and I'm still here so 12 years ago what was the dining food farmer scene like in Hawaii and Kauai? I mean, Kauai has some of the most like fertile land and I've mm -hmm. ever seen in my entire life. Mm -hmm. So it's, and it's unique because it's the only place in the United States where you can actually grow 
things like chocolate, um, for instance. Mm, mm-hmm. So I just began developing relationships with all these amazing farmers um, from our chocolate farmer who we actually use today. Um, with wow. Our and so it was like this slow build of like building all these different relationships on um, Kauai through my private chefing, which led us to Holy Grail and people we're still working with now. But yeah, the restaurant industry is a bit scarce over there, um, mm-hmm. as you can imagine. But there's so much opportunity, I feel like, in Hawaii to really utilize more of the land and locally grown ingredients. Um, and I noticed like it was being underutilized, um, especially with taro root, um, you know, Hanalei being the largest producer of taro. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but like, where is the taro going, right? Um, sure. Much of the ingredients still to this day in Hawaii are being shipped out here. Yeah. Um, I don't believe is sustainable long term. No. So, yeah, being a part of that shift has been really just tumbling. I mean, donuts have historically been a business or a foot in the door for a lot of people who are transplants. I think, you know, in, in Los Angeles in the late 70s, Cambodians opened up donut shops in droves. So I have to imagine that there's, I don't want to say easy because no food business is easy, but something appealing um, in the donut business. What drew you in? What made you start thinking about getting into this type of cuisine? Right. I feel like, yeah, generally speaking, um, donuts just like encapsulate joy. Mm. <laughs> At least for me, like everyone is just like, you hear the word donuts and you get excited. So that was always intriguing. Um, and then this thought around donuts to bring people together. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. That was really intriguing. And then just thinking about, you know, as I'm working with all these niche ingredients and um, local farmers, just like how can we recreate that um, in a unique way? Mm. Um, And again, back to like the storytelling and donuts as this beautiful blank slate for that. Um, Yeah, that we were we just became wildly obsessed And my brother at the time, actually, as I was working on, um, I was working as a private chef on Kauai, mm-hmm. um, he, him and his friend had started a little donut delivery business mm. in Oregon, um, making, you know, run-of-the-mill donuts, delivering them to college dorms, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and me and him would have our weekly little check-ins, and yeah, we, we just kind of became obsessed with this idea of like reinventing, um, reinventing the donut. So you've spoken a little bit about the reinventing and you've alluded to the taro route, but once you landed on this donut business, how did you develop the recipe? How did you go in this direction? Because you also cook them to order, which is, you know, anyone who goes into a donut shop, it's usually just rows and rows and rows of already cooked donuts. Right. Yeah. Um, There's nothing better than a hot, fresh donut. Mm -mm, No. Every (laughs) time it's apple cider season. Get those tiny do little donuts, yeah. It's not the easy route, but it's it's so delicious. Um, yeah, what I don't know. One one day, it just clicked with my brother and I, and we we just we, the holy grail just came about. <laughs> mm. He literally like we packed his bags and moved him out to Kauai. We're like, we've got to try this out. Um, yeah, so we we ended up buying a hamburger trailer and mm. we're like, 
let's test this concept like one day a week. Of course. So the community reacts. We'll do burgers all week and we'll do Sunday morning donuts, fresh donuts. Um, taro was the obvious choice for us for the dough because we're in Hawaii. We're surrounded by just an abundance of beautiful, beautiful taro. Mm-hmm, um, and mm-hmm. it creates this, this like savory base for the donut. Um, similar to like a potato donut in Maine, right? Um, nobody was doing a, like a real taro root, locally grown mm. donut. Um, so our, our vision was like, okay, let's create this donut that like encapsulates Hawaii. Right. So we figured out how to fry them in coconut oil. Um, we developed the dough recipe, like completely from scratch. Um, most donut shops take the easier route of like, you know, buying like a pre-made mix. Sure. Um, sure. We were like, we can't do that. <laughs> We've got, we're going to obsess over like every ingredient that goes into mm-hmm. this. Um, yeah handpick it so we essentially kind of had to build our own donut supply chain um, i love it while living in the same studio apartment just poured everything into this making the recipes <laughs> i'm sure that was good for your relationship right no stress <laughs> no stress at all yeah <laughs> um yeah we just we just became wildly obsessed with it um and that's how we we started this sunday ritual amazing um all right well we're gonna take a little break we're going to talk about how those little sunday rituals became hour-long lines and the music that you provided to the people waiting uh we're going to talk about how you scaled up and coming to the mainland we have a song from the archives here on snacky tunes on hrn Back in the moonlit 
Welcome back to Snacky Tunes. We're here with Hannah Drylink, co-founder and head of creative over at Holy Grail Donuts. And you've brought your brother to Kauai. You've got these donuts going up Sunday morning. And before we get into the success, I came across this thing where you talk about, well, Niall talks about how the donut is a platform for your values, which is something I've never thought about with this food. Does that ring true for you as well? And how are your values reflected on these donuts? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Our donuts, yeah, like I said, like this blank canvas for our values as well. Um, We're able to focus on sustainability, um, Mm. which I think is one one of our largest values. Um, And that's through using, working with local farmers, using the taro root, um, handcrafting everything. And so that, that's a huge part of our product and our, and our values as well. Um, and having fun, like is another Mm. value for us. So this celebration aspect, um, and that's kind of where the music plays in, um, and that community aspect collaboration plays in, um, which I'll go into later with around like our breaking bread concept, um, flavor Mm. development. Well, um, I know that music is a big part of it because as the popularity of the donuts grew, so did the lines. And to help bring a little bit of joy and to provide a little entertainment, you guys would bring in DJ performers or DJs to entertain the crowd while they waited. Can you talk about why you did this and what music was played while people waited? Yeah. Um, Yeah, we started off with a bit of a bang. We had... uh, immediate kind of lines just from the local community um and this was like a true community donut so every week we would rotate our menu um Mm. around seasonality working with the local farmers so we'd have like a dragon fruit donut that we literally picked from ollie's farm the week before (laughs) we'd have a chocolate donut um, from the gate farms, that would be a, an example of that. So our farmers would show up every Sunday. We would have, it was just this beautiful convergence of, um, our ingredients, but also the vibe. So merging, you know, the culinary with the music and vibe for like this full sensory experience was kind of our goal. Um, and I think we believe that music plays such a like integral part in that. And setting the table for the community. So we decided to hire like local DJs each Sunday. I love um, it. Which was so fun. It was like a house party every week in this parking lot. <laughs> and yeah, our music taste, it totally varies. Um, I would say we would play a lot of, uh, play a lot of like Jurassic Five. We'd do some Sade. Um, and yeah, we kind of carefully curate our playlists, um, a lot of golden era hip hop, um, jazzy R and B sprinkled in a little techno. Um, yeah, but it was, it was this whole vibe that just kind of encapsulated our product in a really beautiful way. I mean, it's just so awesome and, and speaks to the community you built and the success you had and. That success allowed you to scale up pretty quickly. When did you realize you had something special um, 
and that you wanted to bring in outside investors and really turn this into a much larger enterprise? Yeah, I guess we never thought about that initially when we started <laughs> Holy Grail. Right, uh, right. We were having a blast and we were making the product we felt really proud of. And um, we were surprised and shocked and ecstatic that we had these crazy lines. And um, it was all like our community that was waiting in those lines, which is huge. And I think that's when it really hit us like, oh, we, we're on to something. Um, and that was before tourists eventually caught on. Um, and, but yeah, just the fact that like our community showed up for us each week and waited in hour long lines. Um, we're like, we have something. <laughs> and we didn't prepare a pitch deck. We didn't think through any of that. Um, however, we did, you know, catch the eye of some incredible investors, um, Kevin Rose in particular, he was, I think he was waiting in line at one point and he, he tried our donuts. I believe he tried them old actually the first time. Hmm. Someone was like, you've got to try these donuts. Um, Fresh. No, they brought him like a, a day old box of donuts and he still, he just wilded out. He's like, these are insane. I want you guys to fly out to big Island this weekend Wow. And, and give us a pitch. <laughs> we're like, what? Um, so we're like, okay, we don't, we had no, you know, deck prepared. We had no financials prepared. Um, my brother flew out there that weekend. Um, we decided the only way to do this was to make a fresh box of donuts. Of course. So in his hotel room, he <laughs> prepared a four pack, uh, slid it on the table um, in front of him in front of, yeah, in front of, it was, it was true. Wow. Who initially caught our eye. Um, and we got a deal on the spot. I mean, if someone cooked me fresh donuts on the spot, I'd probably give him a deal too. <laughs> right. Yeah. He made them in his hotel room and it was, yeah, it was, it was all over from there. So really humbling experience. I mean, so you, you get this money, you get these capitalists in, in investment and you decide to come to the mainland, which has a very large donut culture already, even coming to you know the west side of California. Did you have to change your approach at all? Did you just feel so confident that you were offering something else that people were going to come? Was there a learning process on your side or the customer side? Yeah, I mean, I think we really, our goal is to like replicate the vibe that mm. started with in Hanalei. Um, and so that's what we've been trying to recreate, um, which has had its, you know, it's had its struggles as well. Yeah, of course. Um, but that, yeah, we essentially were learning a lot about product education at the moment. We're using, so we have so many differentiators mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. feel a little difficult at times, like the use of taro and coconut oil our weekly rotating menu. Um, so there's a little bit of a learning curve there, but overall people are, people are going crazy and loving our products. So, you know, I know that you um, have created a community in Hawaii now you have a community here. And, and obviously there was um, quite a devastating fire in Maui last year. And you 
gave back to the community in a huge way. Can you share a little bit about how you're able to support the people in need at their toughest time? Yeah, absolutely. Um, that all kind of goes back to this concept we created uh, about a year and a half ago. Um, mm-hmm. And this all was like back to our roots around merging culinary music, this full sensory experience of like mm-hmm. setting the table for our guests um, and breaking bread. And then it was this light bulb of like this concept called breaking bread mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, where we use, yeah, we use this donut as this blank slate and we collaborate with different emerging artisans, brands, you know, partnerships. Um, so each month we're creating a new donut, a collaborative flavor that gives back 20% of the proceeds. That's incredible. Um, so yeah, when, when the fires hit on Maui, we're like, okay, we've got to pivot. We had somebody else lined up um, to break bread with that month. And we, we move things around and we're like, okay, we're going to do this Maui Ohana donut. Um, and we were able to raise over $11,000, which was huge. Wow. And that was our most, that was our most popular breaking bread so far. So it was amazing to see also the community showing up in a way um, and purchasing that donut. So, wow. I mean, that's amazing. That's so, I mean, all from a, from such a humble, tasty treat, you can do such big things. Yeah. Yeah. We're really excited about this concept. Um, we're actually breaking bread with a Master P donut just launched yesterday. So it's, a, it's such a humbling experience to see, you know, some of our like idols and people that inspired us growing up are, are wanting to make donuts with us. So yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. So you're in multiple locations on the island on the mainland you have built all these great things you got such a great vibe and community that's coming along with you what does the future look like what's next the future yeah we we're excited to keep expanding and growing i think we're gonna focus a little more on la right now um we just signed a uh, lease in Long Beach we're really excited about and um, yeah we're gonna keep trying to spread like our initial vibes in Hanalei and create a different donut donut experience amazing well listen congratulations if people want to check out the locations or get donuts or follow along and see who you're breaking bread with where can they go how can they see your story yeah so right now we're um, we still have our two locations in Kauai. We have our original food truck in Honolulu. Um, we have our flagship here in Honolulu. And then we've got our two locations in Los Angeles. We have Larchmont Street and Santa Monica. Amazing. Well, listen, congratulations. I can't wait to check out the donuts next time I'm on the west side. And a big shout out to Lexi and Vanessa for helping set this up. And thank yeah. you for spending some time with us. Thank you so much. Thanks, Darren. Thanks, Lexi and Vanessa. Shout Super out. Fun. I appreciate it. <laughs> of course. Uh, we have another song from the archives and then a chat and live performance with Philadelphia Snack Time here on Snacky Tunes on HRN. Like a little lost cat up in the tree like a lonely dog without a flea 
Like a last standing villager on his knee. What you feeling? What you feeling's all over me.
This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. There's a reason when you think of Wisconsin, you think cheese. Cheese is a huge part of Wisconsin's history and future. In Wisconsin, the state of cheese, the tradition of cheesemaking excellence began 180 years ago, before Wisconsin was recognized as a state. Immigrants traveled to settle in this lush, green hills of Wisconsin, bringing their cheesemaking traditions with them. These storied skills combined with the freshest milk available created a cheesemaking culture that is uniquely Wisconsin. Wisconsin's 1,200 cheesemakers, many of whom are third and fourth generation, continue to pass on old-world traditions while adopting modern innovations in cheesemaking craftsmanship. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. This episode is supported by HRN business member Itani Ramen, Chef Kyle Itani's expression of Japanese dining culture located in Oakland, California. At Itani, Kyle explores Japan's rich culture, focusing on traditional flavor profiles and offering an izakaya experience made up of a diversity of small bites, donburi bowls, cocktails, and plenty of ramen. Itani's sister restaurant located next door, Yonsai Hand Rolls, serves open-faced Japanese sushi hand rolls made of crisp nori, seasoned sushi rice, and top-notch fish. Itani Ramen and Yonsei Handrolls support HRN's creative, educational reporting and storytelling that drives conversation to make the world a better, fair, more delicious place. Sam, Larry, Ben of Snack Time, fellow Philadelphia friends, welcome to Snacky Tunes. And that is about as close as we're going to get to having a band with the same name as the show. I absolutely <laughs> love it. Uh, welcome, guys. When- yeah, when uh, when we got hit up uh, for this, I was like, "Did they name it after us?" <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. listen, we're we're all from Philly, and we all love snacks, so I imagine that's you know, it's going to happen eventually, right? Um, when we first started the band, um, I have a I have a bunch of friends who do food and drink, and it was during a pandemic, so everyone was doing a lot of pop ups. Yeah, and my friend said, "Of course, leave it to Sam. Think the best food pop up name for a band." Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I'd uh, love to help you out. Um, and, and I actually, at the moment, it was when we first started, I said, you could have it. She's like, no. So it turned out for the best. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, before we get into it, I just want to make sure we're sort of on the same page. I'd love to hear your favorite place to get a roast pork sandwich in the city. Uh, who wants to go first? Uh, I'm basic. Uh, I started eating roast pork in high school. So John's roast pork. Mm-hmm. Classic. The, the thing is, that's not even basic, bro. Like, I feel like you can't. It's hard to beat that. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's the go-to. That's what yeah. I mean by basic. You know, I, I, I will say I've I've been I, I was a big John's roast pork guy like most of the time of being an affiliate. The past couple of times I've been to the Knicks in the Reading Terminal Market, which I guess mm-hmm. is not Tom, Tommy the Knicks. Nice. Yeah. Pretty pretty freaking good. Always classic. Always like the. Tuesday before Thanksgiving, picking up a turkey, having a sandwich at like 9.30 in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. With the broccoli rob, it's in the sharp, sharp provolone. It's pretty, of course. pretty magical. Of course. Ben, what do you have? I'm between those two. I'm more of a roast beef guy. I, mm. I just find myself eating a roast beef sandwich more. I go to Nick's. Nick's roast, roast beef. beef. <laughs> <laughs> but nothing wrong with roast pork. No, 
We also shout have a shout-out to Drew DeTomo at uh, Meeting House, delicious roast beef. He, uh, We just had him on the show the other week. Really? Yeah, yeah, Drew's yeah. Like, Drew's like one of my best friends. You know, it's it's it's. I got a lot of Philly pride, so I'm always trying to put a little light I on saw, the city. I saw you interviewed Alex as well. Um, oh Alex yeah, Kent. he's a he's a deep homie. We met we met in Montreal uh, back in I guess pre pandemic when I when he and Amanda first got together and and we became friends. He's good people. Good people. Great restaurant. Excited for what's going on with them. Um, They're amazing. I'm a Tony Luke's guy, which. Mm. Um, I know has a lot of controversy of all the family drama. I stay away from that and just, you know, get, go for the sandwiches. But I'm actually not familiar with the family drama. What I thought that? it was just tax fraud. Uh, it's deep. We don't need to get into it, but, you know, go, we all got Google. You can get into it. Um, funny, funny story about um, about Tony Luke. Tony Luke Jr. hit yeah. me up on a, on a message. He's a fan of Snack Time. And he said he needed a trumpet player so you could uh, listen to Eric Sherman from Snack Time. On the upcoming uh, Tony Luke single, Tony Luke Jr. single, I think it's called like Smooth Smooth Jam or something. But uh, I heard it sounds really good. Yeah, cool. I mean, he's an accomplished musician in his own right. Um, Yo. Look, not to take it down a note, but we are recording the Thursday after the unbelievable collapse of the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, what did you guys do to eat your feelings or uh, try and get over what was a collapse? the the uh the likes we haven't seen in a long time uh <laughs> me personally mm-hmm. i just took my eagles jersey off and put the sixers one on the meme of uh homer simpson like backing out into the bushes and coming <laughs> back out the, yeah yeah um yeah i'm honestly uh I'm I'm mainly only a Sixers fan these days. I I grew up a New York Giants fan um, mm. from New York, raised in Florida, but was a longtime New York Giants fan. And then I became a Philadelphia a fan of the city of Philadelphia more so. So uh, it was more so being supportive to other members of our band who were deeply affected and uh, traumatized <laughs> by 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 those actions. So we're we're still picking up the pieces, but I think we're gonna be okay. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's been. I mean, yeah, I'm a little removed from it being out in LA, but uh, everyone who I know from Philly was watching was just a lot of big, like heavy sighs over text uh, as the night dragged on. Yeah, it's yeah. also it's a pretty big thing too because um, uh, I get the Jason Kelsey comparison probably. Oh yeah, twice, <laughs> twi- twice a day, and uh, I think with him being less on the TV after his uh, potential retirement, I. They're gonna to have to find another person to compare me to. Yeah, well, or I mean, step in for him. Yeah. Oh, dude, I literally have dreams every. Like, I feel like I have like a quarterly dream about the Philadelphia Eagles have an open call and they need me to play right guard. And I haven't played football since 2011, and I still like in my dream I'm like right with it. Like I could move fast as fuck, I'm strong as fuck, and so maybe who knows. I mean, to be fair. Uh, Invincible does exist. Tony Luke was actually an extra in the movie. So if we want to run it back from Invincible 2. Um, Let's I'd go. Be, uh, yeah. Vince Papali. Uh, yeah. Speaking of the Sixers, you guys have played a couple of halftime shows with them. How, I mean, one, incredible. Two, how'd that happen? Three, how'd you feel being out on the court? So we, um, back in the day when we first started, we were 
a pandemic band. So we really just played out in the streets. Um, and we have, um, we have a friend of the band. His name is Brian Nadav. He's a owner of a really great, um, lifestyle clothing and shoe store called laps on hammer. He invited me to um, a playoff game to go see the Hawks back in, I guess it would have been 2020, 2021. And I ran into the, um, the guy who's in he- the head of presentation and he's like, yo, this guy saw you in the street. They want to have you do a thing. So initially we were going to be playing for the Eastern Conference Championship Finals. Mm. I guess it would have been 21. But the, the Sixers, in Sixers fashion, lost in Game 7. Mm-hmm. Uh, it didn't end up happening. And then they fought, ended up following up in the beginning of the next season. We played opening opening uh, opening game for the NBA. It was awesome. Since then, we've probably done it about – 20 times so it's been really great they kind of just saw us on the street which is sort of the story for a lot of people in the early days they just saw us and the energy we brought so it was a really cool thing amazing um i want to talk about those early days after we hear our first song uh what's the first one you're going to play for us the first one is gotta get funky is that correct Mm-hmm. so this one is gotta get funky on the on the physical album version, you will see "Gotta Get Funky" in parentheses while you're taking a shit. Mm. Um, online, you will now just see "Gotta Get Funky." Okay, well, um, yeah, there we go. Here we go. Gotta get funky. Snack time live here on Snacky Tunes on HRN. Philadelphia, 
That's what I'm talking about. Welcome back to Snacky Tunes. We're here with Sam, Larry, and Ben of Snack Time. And before the break, you were talking about getting started, busking in the street, and that's just how you met people and got the word out. Um, why did you start that way? Why start a band during the pandemic when arguably it's the worst time to do anything <laughs> where you're trying to get a group of people together? I think it's it's the worst time and the best time. Um, everyone in the group has been a professional musician doing freelance stuff, um, you know, for as long as they can remember. But during this time, everyone, you know, kind of lost all their gigs. They mm. had a bunch of downtime. Um, we we didn't get to play music for so long with other people. Venues were shut down, and it was kind of like. The only place we could do it was outside. Right. Um, the amount of times we could do it was unlimited because it wasn't like, oh, yeah, you're hired for this gig. Show up right, on Tuesday. Right, right. It was just like, let's go to the park and play. So it was that paired with like the community of Philly was like there was nothing to do. Sure. Uh, they hadn't heard music in so long. And this was like a relatively safe thing to do. You could go outside, be spread out. This is talking like 2020 times. Yeah, when it, deep. Was, it was real bad. Um, so that's kind of what started. It was it was the need to fill something in Philly where they just needed joy and they needed to dance and they needed to get together. But it was also like all of us were out of a job. We had a bunch of time and we would make a little bit of money, but it was more to like get together and play music. So that's how it didn't really start as like, hey, guys, let's start a band. It was just kind of like, yo, who wants to come play? Yeah. And we do it again and again and again. And then it stuck. And then how long did it take to solidify? Uh, and when you're like, oh, this is something real. It's kind of funny because um, to to I remember the first time we got out there and Ben and I had gotten there maybe 15 minutes before everybody else. And the news instantly was like, you guys want to play for the news? And they're honestly kind of always just felt to be this like destiny mm. about snack time. There was just this magic about it because of the time and the place and the spirit of it. But every single time, regardless if there was, you know, the crowd started and me and me and Ben have actually been going through the Instagram, sort of just cleaning it up, trying to make it a little bit more together. Sure. And, you know, when we started back in the day, there'd be 10 people out there and we thought we were like, yo, we're, this is amazing. And then you look back to our last performance in Rittenhouse, which is probably a year and a half ago, and it was upwards of three, four hundred people just amazing pulling up. And yeah. it was so it's in a way it's kind of always felt like it was solidified. But I, I, you know, I think every single time there's a new benchmark that we hit, um, that kind of brings it brings it one more level up. Well, I, I'd also add, and Larry can definitely speak more of this when it for me when it started to when it went from like just a street band, whatever to like, Oh shit, this is something different was the first time we had Larry play with us. Mm. Larry plays guitar, which is oh. an electric instrument. And we were playing without power, all acoustic prior to Larry. Um, we were on a stage at a music festival called beard fest in New Jersey. Um, and we had Larry and it was like, we had, went from this sound of just horns and drums to playing into microphones for maybe the first time 
um, having Larry and that group. And it's actually, we, we played gotta get funky. The song you just heard, we played mm. that for the first time. I feel like there, I think there, yeah, it was like that half, was, it was half written. It wasn't even finished. <laughs> Larry had not even rehearsed with us. He came right. to the gig. Um, at this point we wrote mostly covers we played oh, mostly covers. So on like on like a shitty napkin, I wrote in permanent <laughs> marker on like this, and it, maybe it was a different key. I'd be and I hand him a scroll piece of paper. I'm like, you got it, and he's like, cool. And uh, yeah, just to kind of piggyback off Ben, I remember we, we used to close most of our sets in written house with Purple Rain. It was like a big emotional moment, and that's also on our our first uh, our first music release. We have a live version of Purple Rain. And Larry just absolutely fucking bodied, played one of the most beautiful solos I've ever heard. I mean, that song without a guitar solo is not the song. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, definitely that was a huge moment being like, yep, this is definitely a new step in the right direction. You know, being a part of the Philly community is such a great thing. It's a rare thing Um, just because it's great music and art and things like that. But, you know, the food scene has really exploded. And I know that you guys have deep ties to that community. You've done pop-ups before. Why do you love that crossover of food and music? How do you see them relating to each other? And who are some of the chefs you've worked with? So um, a big, a big, so the reason, so snack time prior to the band snack time was actually started as a pop-up called snack time. uh, And it was, it was uh, started with me and a chef. Her name was her name is Jen Zavala. She has a restaurant in South Philadelphia called Wanted Tamale. And um, basically, to me, the snack time is the intersection of food, music, and community. Mm. And I think that in so many ways, it's like an unsung hero of a lot of people. Because I think that a lot of people, just in the same way that they expect to go to a restaurant, and the food's going to be ready and hot and perfect all the time. People don't really see the work that goes into it in the same oh, way yeah. that I find that with music. I think that people just expect to go hear really good music and they don't care about, you know, you're loaded and they don't care about what time you got there. They don't care about how much time you practice. They just expect it to be good. So I think that there's just so much intersection of like, um, of similarities. And also I just think that, there's there's just so much good food and I, I i met so many friends through through the food scene prior to even having any band of my own or our sure. own that um for so long you know it was just like i felt this thing that was missing of this community that people can get together and listen to music and eat food and then i you know sort of just wanted to be not to not be the change but just see the things that i wanted to do so and it's really awesome because, like, through through snack time, like, I obviously have had our own connections that we've had, and then like Larry and Austin, who are from Philadelphia, have shown us so many great insider spots. So it's really shown me all the beauty, uh, all the beautiful food that Philly really has. So um, to get back to your question, though, the uh, we've done a lot of different collaborations. We've done uh, Michael Ferrari from Irwin's. We've mm-hmm. done Michael Solomonoff from the Sahab family. Jose Garces, um, we've done Matt Kahn from Middle Child, Matt Buddha from Liberty Kitchen. Uh, I know there's a bunch more. Shout out Mark Vetri. Yeah, Mark Vetri. Oh my God, Philly Goat. Mark, Mark Vetri. We played at his restaurant a bunch, and then when we were in Las Vegas, Mark set up a gig for us at his restaurant in Las Vegas and had us 
do an amazing yeah. show with yeah. all this. It was a, it was a Philly food party in Las Vegas that he basically helped us put together while we were playing Life is Beautiful. So He's we were eating like honestly yeah, one of best. The, the the best the best roast pork sandwich I've ever had in my life. It was like this crazy porchetta vibe. Yeah, I mean, and, and then that's not fair if it's coming from Mark. You know what yeah. I mean? So and then and then after the gig, um, he took us up to the top. Of, mm. of, the, of the of the casino, we ate at Vetri Las Vegas, and then the next oh. day he 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 set us up in a uh, in a cabana before yeah. we played Life is Beautiful. So it was the we were so styled out. It's like our first time on the West Coast, and we just like got absolutely styled out. And big shout out to Mark Vetri. Huge shout out. Papa Dilly changed my life. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> his, his, his pasta will make you see the world in a different way. Um, yeah. All right, let's get to the next song. What are you going to play for us? The next song, everybody, we're going to be listening to is called uh, Snack Motherfucking Time. It's one of my personal favorites. Yeah, I mean, it's an anthem. So let's go. Uh, here we go. Snack Time, Snack Motherfucking Time, live on Snacky Tunes here on HRN. Come on. 
the chip. Yeah, I'm talking about Billy. One of the best cities. We home with a fresh wrist. Call me and be Billy. We in it. Too fresh in the place to be. So let me tell you about the band that y'all came to see. This is Snack Time, the band from Halftime. The band who spreads love. Give me all the good vibes throughout the pandemic. Even though I just said it, I'ma spell our name out so y'all don't forget it. S-N-A-C-K-T-I-M-E-P-H-I-L-L-Y. We the hottest band from the 215. Everybody get your motherfucking hands in the sky. Put your hands in the sky. Put your hands in the sky. Everybody get your motherfucking hands in the sky. If you can't find a snack time, Billy tonight. Everybody get your motherfucking hands in the sky. When I say snack, y'all say time. Snack, snack. When I say snack, y'all say time. Snack, snack. When I say snack, y'all say time. Snack, 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 snack. first bands to play here just about two years ago. Following that, we released our first record, Sounds from the Street. Were any of y'all there? That's what I'm fucking talking about, because Snack Time fans are the best. You're our snack team. I'm going to take a quick second to recognize some people on the stage. For the first time in public, on the keys and trombone from Camden, New Jersey, that is Michael Sticky Lips Spearman. Welcome back to Snacky Tunes. We're here with Snack Time, and we opened up this episode with the lead single from your first uh, studio album, Together. It's out now. How does it feel to have a recorded song out in the world? We, we've been waiting a long time for this. Um, <laughs> yep. we, we, you know, we, we had this great live record out for, for a couple of years now, and I, people really, really loved it. Um, but I think we have really transformed over the past couple of years. Mm. And we're so excited to show people sort of like, where the band is going as we continue to get out of the, out of the market and sort of trying to like change people's perspective on like what it means to be a band with a bunch of horns in it. Right. Cause you could have one idea of what that is, but you're doing something a little bit different. Yeah. We, we have all the respect in the world for all of our brass band homies and the ones who really made it happen. Uh, but we get a lot of comparisons to like, Oh yeah, you guys are like a new Orleans brass band. And, we love that, but it's just not us. So we're really trying to change the narrative around like what snack time is. And you're going to have a chance to do that uh, on tour with Portugal, the man 
Yeah, we've actually we've been out we've been out for a couple of days now, and it's been legendary. I can't believe the reception we're receiving from these people. It's been amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's always good to open up for a band that's not apples to apples because that's a way for people to really get to learn about you instead of you opening for. And again, Preservation Hall, love them. Shout out to them and their status. But I get oh, why. Oh, geez. Would, yeah. Um, I get why you would want to open up for something a little bit different. And yeah, Larry actually has been such a help since he's joined the band. Like, you know, we went from not playing into microphones to now I have, I'm, I'm an endorsed uh, artist by Aguilar and I have like, I have a pedal rig and, and like, I have all this scientific shit happening that I never thought I would ever do in my life. So it's all to make it not sound like a tuba. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How far? How far you come? No, it yeah. is. It is a tuba, but don't call it a tuba. Um, yeah. I heard that in your past festival appearances and being on the road, that you've set up cookouts backstage and hosted different bands or had potlucks. Um, no. Okay, hold on. Elliot, yeah, sorry. Elliot. Elliot wants. Elliot has wanted to do that, and we're down. It. it has not. It has not happened. We can lie though. I like, no, 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 no. Let me cut that out. Um, uh, one second. Yeah. Larry, that looks good, bro. What you got? Watermelon? Nah, Snapple Apple, man. Oh, yeah. All right, my favorite sna- my favorite Snapple is Peach. <sighs> I haven't come across that one. Um, all right. Here we go. Uh, so, I know you're going out also with eric andre on a cruise um yeah what's the vibe with that are you excited about the buffet well actually we just came back from that uh it was at the beginning of uh it was at the end of the last month um before mm. we hit the tour and it was it was unbelievable i mean eric has been so supportive to us and uh larry can tell you some crazy stories about some stuff he did on the cruise so well we might have to save that for the unedited episode yeah, yeah, that's definitely uh, behind the paywall <laughs> of like that. Um, yeah, I mean, again, getting out in front of like the comedic, you know, crew and and group of people is just a great way for you to, um, I don't know, spread the word, spread the word of snack time. I mean, the first, the, the yeah, the first opportunity, and I, I, Ben can tell you a little bit more about it, but Hannibal Burris and we connected on the internet, mm. and and we 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 basically sent Hannibal Burris a comment. Uh, you know, making, you know, making reference to one of his jokes about Philadelphia. And then we wound up playing with him. And then, you know, Ben, if you could tell him a little bit about the the, the handful of gigs we did with Hannibal, that was a blast. Yeah. I mean, there's like, there's just always been a strong connection of music and comedy. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a lot of like on the spot, even if the song doesn't involve a bunch of improvisation, it's like, we know how to improvise and we know how to change stuff up on the fly. And that goes with working with any musicians, but I feel like comedians that are also musicians, you like really do not know what to expect on stage. And when we, when we've, we played Eric Andre's birthday party and he basically just had the mic. We were on stage for like six hours. And wow. at any point, at one point he's just like, can we do some rage against the machine? And we're like, okay, let's go. I'm like, yeah, we, do this, do this. We're like, we're like, <laughs> We, we never played that. We never played that song ever. So we went. We you know we went from Whitney Houston to to Rage Against the Machine to I don't I don't know James Brown. And, 
Michael McDonald. Michael McDonald. Like, we like we love doing that, um, but you know, not every gig calls for that, and not every audience is ready for that. <laughs> but something, yeah. something about the crowd that comes for Eric Andre, they're like, we're we're down with whatever happens. Um, yeah, the, the, it's it's funny because, like I said, for the first couple of years, we you know, for the first year we didn't have any semblance of set lists or everything we did was based upon being a DJ. We were just always trying to think. Mm. And I think a lot of how we, we program our stuff now also is still to keep the party going because we still wind up doing a lot of corporate gigs and weddings. So we're always trying to essentially treat it as if you're listening to a DJ versus a band. Yeah. So, but a lot of the times we're, we have all these hand signs and codes that we do when we're live that we've actually been, it's been written about in yeah. these publications uh, and, and it'll be like, yeah, like they have this way of communicating with each other because we're so used to operating on the fly that got it. That's amazing. Figured out, we figured out our own language, how to talk to each other. Amazing. Well, listen, you're on the road, and you're on the road for the next few weeks. Uh, final question: When you finally get back from a festival or tour, what's your first stop for food in Philly? Mm. Larry. <laughs> Oh man. So <laughs> I had a new year's resolution to just eat better overall. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think I, I'm going to want real food. Cause I feel like we're going to have a certain attachment to a certain taco spot on the road. <laughs> yeah. We, we, we have just been, uh, we've just been selected as um, a feed the beat recipient. So now we are partnered with Taco Bell. They sent us a bunch of uh, gift certificates to feed us on the road. Okay. All right. I'm gonna have yeah. to let my stomach heal up after all that Taco Bell, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you could do like a lettuce bowl or something. Yeah. I I, was, I will go get the best salad. I know you just had Drew Detoma on your show. Yeah. The best best salad in Philadelphia meeting house. Shout out. Um. Shout out. That's what we're gonna need to heal ourselves. <laughs> Actually, yeah, I, I, yeah. That and 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 cafe non soup. Yeah, I was gonna say I, I, I'm loving everyone's respectful, healthy answers. I'm going to get the most delicious bowl of pho from Cafe Nog. Yeah, and it's really just, yeah. <laughs> Larry, <laughs> did we just watch your resolution break? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to get K-pop now when I get back. That's like my spot. I go to K-pop all the time, and like, yeah, mm-hmm. gotta stop. Yeah, we are definitely a uh, we are definitely a hot pot kind of band, which is fun because hot pot is also very uh, communal. And that's very much about us, like the next song you're going to hear called Together. Yeah. <laughs> you like uh, that? <laughs> yeah, I do like it. Um, all right. Uh, so Together is a single. Um, if people want to check you out, where can they go uh, to hear the album, do the tour dates? Uh, you can find us on Instagram at Snack Time. And you can find us on all streaming services. Uh, we're on Facebook, but uh, if you want the most activated uh, way to be in touch with us, we are mostly active on TikTok and Instagram. Our Amazing. website, snacktimephilly.com. Love it. Uh, all right. Last song. What do you have for us? What are you taking the show out with? We have our other single that just dropped. Uh, we dropped the single. Oh, yeah. Larry's got the jersey right there. Uh, we dropped the single as a two-part two songs together so we had together come out but we also have this song i don't give a damn Mm, and it's kind of about uh you know just forgetting about all these things in your life that are are uh 
that you're so normally caught up with and you're you're worrying about and it's, it's releasing all that and rather than a, a really negative i don't give a damn it's it's more of a positive amazing well congrats to you guys if anyone wants some good merch check out their website get a jersey it looks awesome big shout out to elliot john and graham for helping set this up oh Here yeah we go. snack time live on snacky tunes playing i don't give a damn on HRN, we'll see you next time. Hey y'all, this next one's a new one called I Don't Give a Damn. And it goes a little something like this. I said, oh.
talk about food. We talk about music with musical dudes. Finger on the pulse, snacky tunes. Snacky tunes is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.